Now I'm really concerned. I call the police. I call hospitals. I call. I call all around looking. No sign of her. Nothing. Then one day, I'm at work again. I come home. I drive up to the house, and there the lights are on in the house. I run into the house, and there she is in the kitchen cooking. And she turns and looks at me and says, then I'll be ready in about 10 minutes. I check the bedrooms. The kids are in there sleeping. I say, now, where the hell were you? And then the same shit starts all over again. You're always questioning me. You never should have read them letters that Bill M. brought home from prison. They were not addressed to you. And on and on. Oh, my vida loca. Let me go back and talk about my tattoo shop again. <coughs> Change of scenery. My business was going great. And on Navy paydays, the shop would be packed with sailors. Remembering what my old friend Jack Redcock had taught me way back in New York. How he would be in competition with a man named Crazy Phil on Sand Street by the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And, and Jack Red Cloud would buy a case of beer and give all the sailors a beer and let them sit around and have the hookers in there. They, they, they had a deal with Jack. <coughs> they would play and flirt with the sailors, but wouldn't take them out after they got tattooed. So, I had Muggsy McGraw there. I called him my front man at the time. He was quite a salesman. He would help the sailors pick out a design they wanted. He would give them a price. And then he would come over and whisper to me. He said, you know that, that anchor we used to get $8 for? I just sold it to this sailor for 20 he said he liked that anchor, and I told him that one was $30. But I would go talk to Eddie and see if I could get it for him for 20 And I gave him a beer, and he's happy as can be. He'll be next. One day into the tattoo shop comes another tattooer. He introduces himself to me. His name was Howie. His father was Sailor Barney, my friend that used to come by every spring and every fall with a sob story and borrow a few dollars. Now, Sailor Barney had a whole slew of kids. Every year he had a new little kid with him. He ended up in life having six, seven sons that all tattooed. Anyway, this was one of Sailor Barney's son, an older one, that I had never met before. And he was tattooing, and he had some stories that he shared with, with the guys in my shop about his travels and the carnivals and fun stories. And we used to like to listen to Howie tell us stories. So one day, a 
for Sarah Payday. Tommy and Joe didn't come in for some reason. They were young, and they took a lot of time off. <coughs> so I said to Howie, listen, we got a seat open there. If you want to sit down and make a few dollars, go ahead. My shop was a very busy shop. It was a fun place. People were always coming in. A card game was going on. Or down the street, my friend Frank White would have a floating crap game going on. There was always fun and action around Eddie's tattoo shop. And all this time, all the stories I'm writing about, I forgot to mention, and I should, I mentioned him in the beginning when I first came to Philadelphia. This big red-headed guy and his gang would come down every so often and get tattooed. Well, they were still getting tattooed for these few years that I've been here in Philly. And it was always a, a nice feeling when they were around. They were great group of guys. They never gave you any problems. They'd come in, pick out their tattoos, sit down, get their tattoos, laugh and talk with me. And this Jerry, the big red-headed guy, <laughs> you could tell he was excited about this tattooing and the lifestyle I was leading and the people around me. I said to myself, someday this kid is going to be a tattooer too. I could just tell. Now I'll jump back to Sharon, wife number two. In talking with her and asking her where the hell she was for that week, just missing, disappearing. I said, was well, you in California? Did you go to see your mother? Well, what's going on? She says, I keep questioning her, stop with all the questions. Yes, she misses her mother, and she wished she could go see her mother. So I make this suggestion to her. I said, how about we take a trip to go to Las Vegas for a week? I said, well, get, get your older sister to watch the kids. I said, and we'll send your mother some money. You, you write her, call her up, we'll send her some money and have her meet us in Las Vegas. And we'll spend a week there and have a relaxing vacation. And maybe things will be back to normal. So that's what we do. We make arrangements to meet Sharon's mother in Las Vegas. And we make a deal with the travel agency. We get some kind of a package deal where you get the room and the, and the flight there and various coupons for many things to do in Vegas. And off we go to have a wonderful vacation. When we arrived in Vegas, we go to the Flamingo nightclub, the Flamingo Hotel. That was the original, original hotel that Bugsy Siegel, the mobster, had built in Vegas. Vegas was a little city in the middle of a desert. It wasn't the big metropolis than it is today, but it was big enough, plenty of bright lights, food and 
was reasonable. Shows were free. Everything was wonderful. It was very exciting for me as a young man. My first trip to Las Vegas, one of just many that I'll talk about as I go along with my life. Anyway, we get to the hotel, and they say, your room won't be ready till 2 o'clock or whatever. Here's some coupons. Go play some games. Have fun. It's now maybe 10 or 11 in the morning. I come back to the desk at 1.30, 2 o'clock. Okay, we say, and off we go to play around and have fun. As it goes in Vegas, they're in no hurry to get you into the room. They want you out of your room in the casino gambling. That's how they make their money. So anyway, before I even see my room, I'm almost broke. I have to wire home to mom and dad, now living in Florida, for some money they were holding for me. They've always held money for me. So I'm expecting money. Everything's fine. And walking through the casino, off the casino, sort of in the lobby, there's a little room with seats in it, like a small little nightclub type thing. And I hear music coming out of there, and I look in, and there's not many people in there, tables and chairs around. And there's Fat Domino banging on the piano, singing Blueberry Hill. So I sit there and listen a little bit, and I moseyed on in. I get up to a table up near the front, and the waitress comes over, can you, can you, do you want a drink? And I said, yeah, sure. Bring me a couple of screwdrivers. I said, give Fats something, whatever he's drinking. And Fats nods to me. He motions to me, come on over. So I get over and I sit right down by the piano where he's singing and playing. And he starts talking to me. And he says, boy, he says, I came here a couple of months ago to do a, a two-week, three-week gig here, he said. And Jesus Christ, they started lending me money, telling me, Lloyd Campbell, don't worry about nothing. Lending me money, lending me. He says, they made me go broke. He says, they now own my nightclub in New Orleans. He says, I'm stuck here. And then he bangs on the piano, boom, and he starts singing. <laughs> I'm walking to New Orleans, got my suitcase in my sip of his drink, nods to me and says, what do you think? That's very nice, that's a nice song. He says, I just wrote that song. He says, that's the song that's going to get me my nightclub back. Now, I hate to jump ahead of myself in any of my stories, but this story should be completed. It's just one story in my many arsenal of stories, and it should be completed right now. <laughs> Some dozen years later, I'm in New Orleans with a group of tattoo guys, and we're in a cab touring New Orleans, as I like to do, in cabs. And I see a sign, Fats Domino's Place. 
I said, pull over here, we're going in there. As we walk into the club, it's dark in there, and we're following this this guy to a table, walking through the club. There's Fat Domino up on the stage with a spotlight on him, and he's singing Blueberry Hill. As we're walking toward the table, Fat Domino stops singing, stands up, and just points toward me, sits down again, and starts singing. I'm walking to New Orleans, and he nods to me. That's the end of that little story, but it should have been completed now. Now I'll go back to Vegas. Sharon's mother shows up that night, and we have a, a great weekend in Las Vegas, seeing shows, doing some gambling sightseeing, and a good time. In that week, I got to know Sharon's mom a little bit. She told me to call her Connie, so I called her Connie. And and in getting to know her some, I could understand Sharon and her siblings a little better. This was a a crackerjack of a woman. She was tough. So after a great week in, in Vegas, me and Sharon head home. Mama, Mama goes back to California, and all seems well. 